Now, for the summer at uh, Central Vineyard over these last couple of years, we always just take the summer to do a little series, just a little, a little, um, nothing too strenuous, something that relaxes and eases us into the year, um, but something that's still got a little bit of kick to it, something that's got a little bit of uh, relevance. And this year, we are choosing to do a little series on the sacraments, the sacraments, the things, the physical things we use as a community to uh, experience and receive spiritual realities. Now, often the summer, sort of, we sort of take a couple of weeks where there's like the Auckland anniversary weekend, and then there's the Waitangi weekend, and we kind of really start again properly in February. Auckland's a tricky space to start church, like because of all these like various long weekends that we've got going on. So with this series, what we're trying to do is we're trying to just think about something deeply. We're trying to thicken up our theology and our ideas around some of these things we just do together all the time. Last year, we did a series on community where we just talked about community. We've got a bit of a thicker theological vision for what community is and what it isn't. We tried to remove the buzzword. And my heart with these next couple of weeks while we do this, what we're trying to do is we're trying to explore some of the things that we just do, and heaps of people might have a different, a heap of bunch of ideas about why we do those things. Well, we do that thing because it's tradition, or we do that thing because it's something that, like, you know, the church has always done. Or we do it, and people are like, well, we do that thing, and it just, I don't even know why we do it. So we're trying to tackle some of those things with this series. What we're trying to look into is, essentially, my story goes... I was a pastor's kid from being 14 through to 20, and I was raised up in a community where the, charis- the, char- the charisma, the charis, the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit was kind of like the, the upper marker. It was the prized position. Uh, when the worship time went off script for an hour and people were all praying in tongues and it was loose, <laughs> loose. That was a great Sunday. And I'm not taking that marker away. I'm not saying that that's not an important marker. That is an important marker. But when I came to Auckland and I started to uh, do ministry, working for a church, and I started to uh, study my master's, and I started to look at church history, and I started to look at the beauty and the depth of the church as a global picture and the body, I started to find all of these things that actually had been done for thousands of years that I used to kind of think were just sort of ritual or dead. And I I started to uncover, no, there is a richness here. And it was like another marker got introduced into my faith of what's important. So are we we trying to sort of say in this series that the stuff of the Spirit is not important? No, we're not saying any of that. Everything we've done this morning as we've worshipped and gone off script a little bit, as we've taken this time to intercede and we've stopped and we've sought God together as individuals and as a community, all of that is so important to what we do as a community. We love all of it. We love making room for the prophetic. We love making room for these things. But this moment, this series is to look at, but what are some tactile things that we do all the time? But what are also some more tactile things that we could start to do that might open up that world for us a bit more. And so that's what this series is all about for these next couple of weeks. Hope you can join us. If you're heading off on more holidays for the next couple of weeks, it's going to be on our podcast. You can tune in. You can listen. But this is the series, Sacramental.
So today's reading is going to come from Matthew. This year, I'm not going to be putting uh, the scriptures up on the slides. We're going to go old school, and there's this thing called a Bible, and you could try bringing it to church. It's like a paper book kind of thing. With some, sometimes they've got leather, sometimes they're hardcover. Some of you, Chris has got one. Sighting. <laughs> Found one. So we're going we're gonna to go old school. We're going to sort of stop with always having the big scriptures up on the screens. We're going we're gonna to get tactile again when it comes to the Bible and opening them up. So if you have it on your phone, if you have one, bring it with you on Sundays. Um, we're going to do a reading together from Matthew chapter 26, where there's this moment with Jesus and the disciples, and it's called the Last Supper. Before I read, one last thing. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of scripture today. So stand, yet to. Hear the word of God today. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? As you go into the city, he told them, you will see a certain man. Tell him, the teacher says, my time has come and I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus told them. He prepared, and they prepared the Passover meal there. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the 12 disciples. While they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one, Lord? And he replied, one of you who has just eaten from this bowl with me, will betray me. For the Son of Man must die, as the Scriptures declared long ago. And how, how, I'm sorry, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man uh, if he had never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, you have said it. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, Take this, eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine, gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and he said, Each of you drink from this, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Then they sang a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. Grab a seat. Matthew 26. Now what's going on here? What's happening in this story, this text for today? What's going on? with this moment with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus sends his disciples ahead to go prepare a meal that they knew was coming up. Every Hebrew, every Israelite knew that at this time of year, this is what they were going to do. It was in the diary. It was part of their rhythm. It was a regular occurrence, just like we have all celebrated Christmas, just like we will celebrate Easter. We know it's on the diary. We know it's coming up. So it is with the Hebrew people when it came to Passover. This meal was a meal that for generations they had celebrated together. This meal was a meal that they had prepared and done this ritual over and over and over and over again. And so Jesus sends sends them ahead and says, go prepare this Passover because tonight we're going to eat it. That's just normal. 
they would have just been doing that anyway. What is the Passover meal? What's going on there? Well, the Passover meal is a meal the Hebrew people did every year to remind themselves, to recall the great story of God's great miracle, God's miracle of salvation for them as a people, where he took them out of Egypt and took them into the promised land. The way he did this was through the miracles that he then he performed in Egypt. When uh, the final one being the Passover, the Passover being when the the angel of death passed over the people of Egypt, and if they hadn't put blood around their doorposts, the angel of death, uh, if they had put blood around their doorposts, the angel of death would go past. If not, it would go in and would kill the firstborn. It was this huge and miraculous and and full on moment. And this was the story that they would put themselves in with each time they came to the Passover meal. They would remember God's provision and miracle in their story. So Jesus is taking this Passover meal. We're going to skip the Judas bit today. We're going to maybe cover that another time. But there's this bit with Judas, which we'll get to. This text kind of flies through a bunch of stuff, and we kind of find ourselves moving pretty quickly. If you go to the Gospel of John, you're going to read about the last meal as this huge bunch of chapters. But here in Matthew, it's only a couple of verses. And so Judas and this thing happens. We'll come back to that one other day. And then Jesus takes these symbols, these, this part of the meal that they're always going to take as, as the meal for Passover, remember? And he does something preposterous. He says, take this and eat it and remember me. Remember me. See, Jesus is reappropriating a meal that had been around for generations. And in that moment, he is saying, oh, the story that this used to be now has a new meaning forever. It is about this. It is about the fact that I am the bread of life. And then he takes the wine. He does the same thing. He takes the wine, and instead of it meaning what it would have meant in that moment for them and the traditions and the rituals of that meal, he changes it again. He says, this is about the new covenant, the new thing that God is doing with us. No longer will it be about the doorposts. Now it's going to be about what's happening on a cross in a few days' time. He reappropriates it. He changes it forever. Jesus takes that Passover meal, a meal that was celebrated every year and had been done for generations, and he completely changes it, realigns it, and adapts it. I think we all know what it's like to adapt. We've just spent a year hearing that language, pivot, adapt. We know what this is like. Jesus did that with this meal, and he turned it towards a new miracle that was breaking forth into the world. And for the next three weeks, what we are doing as we think about sacraments is we are thinking about this reappropriation. We're thinking about taking physical things, normal things, things that are around us all the time, created things by the Creator, things we use all the time, but yet we can use them in another way, reappropriate them so that they can convey something of spiritual means to us. We can receive something from these things because this is what God does. God sets up some things for us to do, physical things, to bring us into a spiritual reality. But we have a problem. <laughs> we have a problem that we must first talk about for a few minutes before we dig into talking about some of the sacraments today. Firstly, we have this problem. The problem is this thing called dualism. Dualism is this idea that we inherited as a hangover from Plato. It's this Platonic dualism, this idea that he entered into the world in the ancient Greek philosophy where he said that the body and the soul are separate and that your soul is better than your body. Your body is second class. Your soul is what's most important. And so what happened is that in the Greek world, you had this kind of elitism around spirit and soul. 
and you have this neglect of body and matter. And that dualism is the separation of matter and spirit. And we still live in the hangover of that thought. We still live it today quite often, actually. We still have this. I'll give you an example just from church. Today, Today, we've tried to do a bunch of things. But if you go to some churches around the world, if you go to a very highly traditional Eucharistic church, which there's some meeting in Auckland, right? They, they would have met actually hours ago. They won't be meeting now. They would have met hours ago. There are highly traditional Eucharistic communities meeting to encounter Jesus. And they wouldn't have had a four-song worship set with a PA and sound gear and words. They would have used elements. They would have used symbol. They would have used various things. The priest would have done various things in the liturgy of that morning, physical things. Would have maybe swung essence uh, that he would have burned. He would be drawing them to the table, to these elements, these words that have been prepared rather than freestyling. There are certain things that would have been in that gathering that were very physical things. And some of us look at that and go, yeah, but that's dead of the Spirit, man. The Holy Spirit's not there. Don't we? We say things like that. We look at it and go, well, the Spirit of God's not there. We look at that physical picture. We look at that package and go, well, it's dead religion. It's just religion. But is it? Or is it just the dualism at play when we're unable to look at the physicality and see what God's doing through those things? I just ask that as a question just to kind of poke you a little bit today. Some of us, some of us would love it if we got rid of all of that stuff completely. A, re- a reformation, if you will, um, and, and got it so that it was just free and there was no rules and we kind of throw out all of the rule books and the, you know, keeping things proper and all that sort of stuff and pushed into this total chaos with the Spirit. And some people would look at that and go, that's just chaotic. And some people would look, nah, that's more spiritual. That's the dualism again. The same thing is at play. We're ranking the Spirit above the form. And actually, it's the same idea. We're just trying to create a spiritual elitism. This dualism is still part of our lives. I'm also shocked at discipleship. I'm shocked at how we have this idea that when we have a great time of worship or a great time of prayer, that's somehow more important than living a good life sexually or choosing to be good with my time or eating well. Why do we rank all of this stuff? It's the dualism at play. It has separated us, and we are meant to be people where that comes together. The Christian faith was never meant to be about a spiritual elitism. It's both things tied together, working in unison, the body and the spirit, matter and spirit. We are to be people that bring this together. That is maybe like rather than Eucharist and charismatic being divided, what if we could be eucharismatic? That's a good title. I should have called it that this morning. But what if? What if? Now, the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, is actually a book which speaks about the same problem. The church of Corinth is having a problem. The problem is spiritual elitism. And they're asking a bunch of questions to their pastor, Paul. And Paul's providing some answers. And in providing some answers, he's going at this. And one of the things you'll read as you keep reading 1 Corinthians is he keeps trying to do this to them. He's trying to ground them. Because they're getting too lofty. This Greek thought has kind of broken in and started to to mix with their ideas of spiritual giftings and all kinds of things. And he's trying to ground them and get them back in reality a little bit more. And so there's this bit here in 1 Corinthians 6.19, which is basically the summary of 1 Corinthians 6, is, is, is this verse. Don't you realize that your body 
is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. Now, when I was in youth group, the best we could do with that was that was a, that was a scripture to say, don't smoke. That was the best that I ever heard. Don't smoke. Your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the only thing that should be doing the smoking in you, Dan. You know? Like, but actually, that is to minimize one of the key verses of the book of 1 Corinthians. The argument of 1 Corinthians is trying to say, no, there's a dualism at play, and you're not meant to be the people of the dualism. You're meant to be people where your body, your life, the life lived, the matter around you, and the work of the Spirit, this life with God, reality with God, are coming together, where you're seeing the goodness of God and the things around you. It's a fascinating argument that we could dig ourselves into a little bit with this idea of sacrament. Because what happens is Paul, actually, there's an argument later on where they've asked him some questions about food with idols. And his answer, part of his answer is this. He uses, he uses the, the sacrament of communion. He says, when we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. Paul is trying to say, look, the physical things around you are trying to show you a spiritual reality. They're trying to show you and wake you up to something. They're trying to help you to see this thing. When we eat, this is what we are eating. When we drink, this is why we're drinking. When we do it from one loaf, this is why. Okay, gluten-free people, I'm sorry. But Paul would disagree with you. You need to start eating from the bread with us. You know, like, this is the point here. No, 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 no. The overarching narrative of 1 Corinthians is that we are not meant to continue this Greek either-or dualism. We are to be people where there's a unity of created things and the things of the Creator, the Spirit. So, what are sacraments? Just to bring this all to a close, then we're going to talk about the sacrament for today. Well, sacraments... In my Bible dictionary, one of my Bible dictionaries said this. I think this was a really good little summary. It's loaded up with some big ideas, but maybe if you take a photo of it or write it down, you can think about it a little bit more for yourself. The underlined bit in particular. The common definition of a sacrament, which is accepted by the Reformed and the Roman churches, is that of an outward and visible sign ordained by Christ, setting forth and pledging an inward and spiritual blessing. You know, you might have heard maybe more of like the language of Augustine, where Augustine says um, a sacrament is a, um, a physical means for a spiritual grace. It's a bit simpler. But this is the dictionary version, um, and it's worth thinking about. And they, in the same dictionary uh, bit, went on to also talk about this idea of the dualism, which I found really interesting. So this is what they said. There's a couple of big ideas in here, so just bear with me. In the New Testament, there is no conflict suggested between the use of sacraments and spirituality. This is really important. Listen to this. When they are rightly received, the sacraments do convey the blessings to the believer. But those blessings are not confined to the use of the sacraments. Nor when they are conveyed through the sacraments does their bestowal conflict in any way with a strong scriptural emphasis on faith and godliness. What's that saying? Well, when we come to the sacrament to experience the spiritual reality that it's trying to convey, it could happen somewhere else as well, is what it's saying. So, for example, over the last couple of years, we've had people come to the communion table who do not follow Jesus. They have no sort of scope of like praying a sinner's prayer or anything like that. We've invited people to the table. They've come and they've said, I'm in. I'm in on this. 
whatever this, this thing that you're presenting to me, this is, I'm in now. That could also happen in a conversation over coffee. That could also happen by praying for someone after church. Like that same thing could happen in other forums. But the sacrament makes space for some of those blessings to happen. You got with me? You capish? Yep. So it's not taking it away and saying what happens there will only ever happen there. It's saying, no, it's just another place where those things can happen. It's a means for those things to happen. Now, the sacraments, when administered in accordance with the principles that are laid down in Scripture, this is what they do. Number one, they recall us continually to the great ground of our salvation. They recall us. Why? Because we're forgetful people, aren't we? We forget a bunch of the stuff all the time. So the sacrament recalls us. It just brings back to mind. Oh, that's right. That's what my faith is. Oh, that's right. That's what Jesus did. Oh, that's right. Because it takes a long time to get it in there sometimes. And then also, it reminds us of the obligations that we have to walk worthily of the calling that we have been called. It reminds us of our part to play. When we take what we're taking, it reminds us there's something for us to go and do. Now, some scholars, they can list up to 30 sacraments. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church would say there is seven. Reformed churches would say there's two, which is baptism and um, communion. And for, I think, personally, I think for a lot of us, we actually just have no idea. Most of us haven't thought about it. Most of us don't have a, a theology for this or thought about it at all, engaged in this idea to think, oh, how, what is a sacrament? What isn't a sacrament? Why would that be one and why would that not be one? No, we haven't done the work. And so what we're trying to do with this series for these next couple of weeks is we're just trying to say there are some physical things that we use as a community and they are a means. They are, they are a space in which we can find and experience some spiritual realities. This is not our exhaustive list by far, but this is just some things that we have found are working. Firstly, bread. Secondly, wine, a.k.a. communion. Eucharist, Lord's table, breaking bread, the supper, the table, whatever you want to call it. That's what we're talking about when we say bread and wine and bread. It's the first Sunday back. Um, the second one that we want to talk about next week is baptism, water. I'm going to talk about water. Why is water a sacrament? What, what, what physical, uh, what's about physical water that could convey something spiritual to us? And lastly, we're going to talk about oil. And now oil is not a sacrament that you would have seen for us. We have not had oil out. However, for the last couple of months, some, some peculiar things have been happening for some people when it comes to using oil, when it comes to being prayed for and someone anointing them or praying for healing and receiving oil. Some fascinating things have started to happen for us in, the, in this community. And so we just want to talk about that. We have not figured that one out, but we're starting to. And so we want to talk about that a little bit. How could oil be something important when it comes to our faith? So today, we're going to talk about bread and wine for these last couple of minutes, and then we're going to come to the table together. So bread and wine. What is it that they are actually physically trying to show us? By the way, this table today, um, we've got them all here, bread and wine, water and oil. How good is this cross? So a little story. So some of you will know Patrick, who's one of our interns doing the ministry program with us. His brother, Joe, since May 2019, has been hand carving this. It's John 15 put into a form. So it's John 15. I am the vine. You are the branches. Abide in me. You'll bear much fruit. So there's these vines. There's, this, there's these um, grape clusters. He hand carved this since May 2019. He doesn't even come to this church, but last year when he was trying to find a home, he chose us. He gave it to us, and we received this tonga 
this week. He came and brought it and gave it to us, and he's given it to us. He doesn't even come here, but he wants us to have this. Because he said to me, I think you're a community that will appreciate this. Let's live into that, eh? That's what we're talking about today as we talk about this stuff. Come and have a look, too. It's beautiful. It is absolutely stunning. It is craftsmanship, and it is wonderful. Wonderful. So, back to this. Wine, bread and wine. I can't say it for some reason. Bread and wine. What are they actually physically trying to show us? What is it that this sacrament, this physical thing, is trying to get us to spiritually see? Firstly, the body. Let's go to Jesus and Matthew, the reading from today. He just said this. Eat this because it is my body. It is my body. But there's a bigger miracle story going on there that we need to also sort of get our heads around. Because Jesus used a bunch of statements about himself in John. And seven times he used an I am statement about himself. One of them was, I am the bread of life. So in that, what he's conveying is like the bread was given to you miraculously in the desert when you were walking around trying to figure out what to do to get to the promised land. And manna from heaven would fall into the camp of Israel. Like that provision, that miracle, so am I. He's also saying, like that is nourishing, like that is sustaining, so am I. Just like God has provided for you what you need, I, I am that same thing. And Jesus, if you'll notice, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, he gave the bread. And that's the same repetition that we're trying to see as we do this together. There's a blessing, there's a breaking, there's a giving. We too are immersing ourselves into that story, that way of being in the world. God has blessed us to be a blessing to the world. How does it happen? Through being broken and humbled, being worked on by God and Jesus in His way, having all of those things done in our lives so we can be a better giving into the world, a better and more fruitful person. Secondly, there's the wine or juice. It's, Jesus said of this cup, this is the new covenant that I'm making with you. Again, let's just remind ourselves it was stepping out into this kind of pretty full-on imagery. You know, the Old Testament's pretty gutsy and gory to read, isn't it? And it's got a lot of blood, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of stuff that we just don't do in our context anymore at all. The last time I ever saw that kind of stuff was working on a farm, definitely not in church. So there's this, we don't really kind of get this imagery very often. When we start reading about blood being put places and sacrifices and altars, it's like, I don't know. And it's just because of our context now. It's just so far removed. But just to kind of get your imagination going, you know, Hebrews in particular talks about how Jesus is our high priest, our high priest, the one who would bring the blood and atone for the sins of Israel. And so it is with this moment. Jesus is saying the new covenant, this new moment is being done for the forgiveness of all. Just like that moment, which we can't even see. Like, I just think for most of us, we read those passages in the Old Testament. You're like, nah, I just don't even know how that works. I can't even imagine it very well. The fullness of what that really would have been like. But Jesus is saying, I am the one who's doing that. My blood will be the way. No longer will the priests have to keep revisiting this altar. It's happening through me. It's happening through me. I'm going to be the blood on the doorposts once and for all. So that's the kind of what's going on here with these elements. That's, that's what it's trying to get us to see. So how does it, what does it do? Like what, what happens when we start taking the cup and the wine and the bread? What happens when we sit down with those things together? What are we entering into? Well, here's, here's my crack at kind of trying to summarize uh, a bunch of stuff. And just allow me a few minutes just to riff off each of these. This is what I think is going on as we do those things, as we enter into that space of the bread and the wine. Firstly, I think we are experiencing the hospitality of God. 
the merciful, hospitable space of God. God has made this space for us to enter. Just like in the, this, the text here with Matthew, Jesus sent his disciples off to make a space. There's an image there that comes to, to mind for us. Jesus has made this space already for us. It's already existed. Nothing we do can, can remove that space, that merciful space he's made for any of us. None of us could work harder. None of us could buy it. None of us could try harder. It's just there. It waits for us. Like a great meal with the doors open for anyone to come and eat. Isn't that a great image, that that would be the image that we celebrate? An open table, a hospitable space for sharing and communing, opening our lives up to God and having God speak back to us, respond back to us. So firstly, we become people who step into the hospitality of God when we eat a meal together. Secondly, we remind ourselves, step into this thing of the provision of God. God has provided. God has has put these things in motion and done them. They are done and they are waiting for us to receive. You know, each Sunday when we come and we take from the table, someone has laid this out for you. We don't make you bring your own cup and bring your own bread and go and, you know, fill it up and do it yourself. It's sitting there waiting for you. That's meant to remind you and immerse you in the reality that it waits for you. It's provided for you. And all you have to do is receive it. Thirdly, it brings us to the forgiveness of God. When we step into that space, that welcoming, merciful, loving space, we then get to the forgiveness of God. We actually start to see, man, my, my way of doing things is not lining up with this way of this God who is doing this for me. Oh my goodness, the Beatitudes and the type of person I'm meant to be and this story and what this is showing me and my life lived is not meeting up to that right now. I need to repent. I need to turn my life towards that. And we receive the forgiveness of God as he just says, be nourished by me, receive from me and go and try again. Fourthly, the sustenance of God, the giving of God, the nourishment of God. God is self-giving. He has given himself through Christ, the incarnate God. He's given himself to us, revealed him, given him. And we get to receive that. And it's nourishing. It's good for us. It's good for our souls. It's good for our faith. It's good for our walk. It's good for our way of being. And lastly, the mission of God. As we eat and drink and get that into us, we then become aware that, oh my goodness, now I'm fueled to go and do something. I'm fueled to go and live this into the world. You know, John 15, our cross, may you always remind yourself of this when you look at it, that we are to be abiding in him, those first four, that we may then go and produce good fruit into the world. Number five, the mission of God. This is what these things do as we take them together. That's the story it invites us to receive. Now, our story with this, we have not always done this this way. If you've been around for a long time, you'll know we've been stumbling our way through it. I grew up in a church where we did communion about three times a year, and it was not thought about very well. It wasn't very robust. It wasn't, very, it wasn't really conveying much to me. I didn't really know what was going on. And in recent years with our journey as a community and the various um, scholars and people that we look up to who are fathering us as a community, um, there's a few things that kept coming up, and that was a robust idea of theology, uh, theology for the table. And as we started to go into it, we started to realize how much we needed to be taught in that. So what we would do is we'd put up a slide as we came to the table so we could thicken up our imagination for what we were doing. Because we kind of had no idea. Uh, I guess we just eat and drink and like yeah, pray a prayer and hopefully it's a bit moody and emotional. And that was a good one. Or if it wasn't, it was a bad one. 
What would it look like to have a good idea of theology, uh, theology for the table? Well, we used to put this up. This was our first one. And some of you who were around on the very early days back at Auckland Normal Intermediate, you might remember it. So we used to put this up as we came to the table. We recognize that there is a mystery to the table. So we approach it with humility and reverence rather than know-it-all arrogance. It was a confession. It was a confession. Next, we also are declaring our fidelity to Jesus, whose supper it is. So we point our lives toward him, no matter how close or how far away we are from him. Third point, because there is grace imparted, we believe that those who recognize their need for God's grace are the most, are the most, are the most welcomed at the table. And lastly, because grace is only accessed by faith, empty religion finds no place at this table. And then we found uh, a little bit later this call to the table by the Iona community in Scotland. They've been using this for a very long time. And we just love the language of this so much. And so this became a way of saying, as we come to the table, this is what it's all about. This is what this means. And so this, this, this um, statement that we put up every week, it's not, it's not sort of just to be cute or just to fill in the space or to be creative or anything like that. It's to help build a robust idea for us about what this means. And here's what it means. This is the table, not of the church, but of Jesus Christ. In Matthew, it says Jesus is the one who started this table. It's his table. He told us to do it. He invites us to it. He is the great host who has welcomed us to it. It is made ready for those who love God and who want to love God more. So come. Don't you love that? So come. Isn't that the gospel? Come. That's the good news. Come. God is alive. He is risen indeed. So come. You who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been for a long time or ever before. You who have tried to follow and all of us who have failed. And lastly, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. What that's saying is, you know what? We know that outside of church, this would be pretty weird. <laughs> you know what? Outside of this context, we know that it might not really work like this. All drinking a little weird drink of juice and eating a little bit of bread. It's a weird thing to do. But actually, no, no, no. What it's saying is, no, these are the gifts of God. This is a meal, a remembrance for the people of God. And the way we do it by giving you little portions, it's just logistical. All right? It's logistical. If we could, we'd give you all a huge loaf of bread and a big glass of, big glass of wine. You know, that's what we would love to do. But it's not logistical. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come, not because the church invites you, but because Christ invites you to be known and fed here. So maybe you can hear in that call, you can hear some of those themes that I was showing you before. The hospitality of God, the welcoming of God, the provision of God. Here are his gifts, his thing to remind us of. The forgiveness of God. Come, those who need this. The sustenance of God. Be fed here. The mission of God. Go into the world as people who have eaten this meal. Which brings me to the last bit, and we're going to come to the table now. What I think this is all about, if you could kind of remember a few things this year as we come to the table. We're going to come to the table every week. It's always going to be here every Sunday. This sacrament is very important to us. It's become more important over the years. As we come to this table, here's some things I'd love you to remember. When I come to the table, it's helping me to recalibrate the dualism that I live in. 
It's helping to recalibrate the dualism that I live with. It's helping me to not be a person who just looks at spiritual things as more important than physical things. No, something physical can be a means of, of receiving a spiritual grace, a spiritual in- insight. And it is just as holy and spiritual to come and eat this meal and be present to God and reminded of his promises as it is to have a really, real gnarly worship time. Recalibrate the dualism. Secondly, receive his grace. Come that you may receive, 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 receive. Over and over and over again, we all need it. We all fall short. We can come and receive his grace. But secondly, we then go to live immersed in the new reality that this is showing us. This new welcoming reality, hospitable reality, providing reality, this whole new thing that this table is saying to us, go and live it into the world. And so finally, we're going to come to the table. So would you stand, and we're going to come to this moment together.